Why are we all okay? What? No. What? There's like three feet of a table next to you, and I'm shoved into this little corner. <sighs> John, like I know he wasn't on last time we recorded, but he does generally start the episodes out with a complaint. Um, so. <laughs> I start uh, every moment of every day with a complaint. So, um, well, no, this is more. So one of my coworkers told me that when I get into the office, I kind of explode everywhere. Um, like I'll just like start throwing my, like my bag on one chair, my jacket on another and everything. And it's anytime I record, I have three beverages and they're all just like, he needs know. more room. She's, she's given me like this much space <laughs> to try and contain them. Coffee. Okay, well, this is also an obligatory starting um, banter. What are you drinking? I have coffee. In a Twin Peaks mug. <laughs> Very nice. Water. Good. Stay hydrated. That's smart. Yeah. Good. Hydrate or die. This is like a, a gingerbread old-fashioned. Oh, that sounds perfect. Is it chilly there tonight in Calgary? It's a it's dark and rainy all day, afternoon. Yeah, dark and stormy wise wise beverage choices those are all apt i don't know for a rainy day that's like on point yeah it's yeah. well yeah like the configuration is always like coffee or some kind of like energy giver water for hydration and then like the chaos drink this is exactly quality yeah. content this, it's a beverage <laughs> podcast okay <laughs> <clears throat> you're listening to the Sister Luna podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Rose, and John is also here. But today we have once again our very terrifying and exciting and oddly on top of that hilarious guest, exceptional horror author, Mike Thorne. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Maddie. And nice to meet you, John. Nice to meet you. Yeah, this is my fiance slash co-host, John. This is my old friend, Mike. (laughs) We met once non-digitally, right? No, did you? I don't think so. Maybe not. Hey, John, maybe you can clear this up. Did we meet briefly at the Crowfoot train station at some point? Yeah. Yeah. Did we? Good memory, because Maddie and I have been trying to determine, we're like, was John there? Because I I hadn't seen Maddie forever. You were there, right? Okay. Yeah. So you have met, Mm -hmm. sort of. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Well, okay. I I think you have the distinguished honor of being the first returning guest. Yeah, that's true. Confirm, yeah. Damn, I'm honored. That's so cool. Uh, well, last time was so much fun. And then you also teased me with the idea of further stories about poltergeists and I couldn't resist. Yeah, I'm happy to dish out some more details. I feel like I, I dished out the juiciest bits in the last one, but there are a couple things I think I left out. So that's okay. I have more questions, non-poltergeist related questions. Cool. Right when we were starting up though, we at first, the Zoom was doing the, you know, the poltergeist communication thing of like, are you here with us? We can't hear you. <laughs> we can see you. Are, do you hear us? Um, but and 
so then when we got it working you said that that was scary there for a second and i was like what that that was scary are you kidding there was no disembodied <laughs> brain there was no like <laughs> goosebumps-esque situations <laughs> it was a little goosebumpsy maybe i don't know in a vague way <laughs> um yeah so i literally i got goosebumps this morning while i was reading um or not this morning it was yeah. yesterday i was reading havoc uh, one of the stories from your new collection, Peel Back and See. And I got, yeah, I got goosebumps. I had to go find a sweater. Wow. Well, thank you. And sorry, I guess is always the response. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. No, that's what I signed up for. Yeah, that's true. I guess goosebumps aren't so bad. Yeah. I didn't have a nightmare guess, this yeah. time. Yeah. We're sorry that that name was already taken for a book. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, uh, I mean, you roll with it. Yeah. Goosebumps. That's, uh, it is very much taken. So what's new with you? I'm apparently living in Fredericton now. Um, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Which is strikingly beautiful in the fall. Um, yeah. my friend Emily is here visiting right now, which is nice, but I feel bad because I'm so busy. I'm taking, uh, four courses and I'm TAing and my book release is coming up. So it's just like, um, uh, havoc, but not in a, um, cosmic horror sort of way, just in a very <laughs> literal pandemonium sort of way. Right. Yeah. Non-demonic. Had non -demonic. you ever spent much time in the Maritimes before this? Never. I had never been. I, I, I oh, this is actually the first time I ever moved out of Alberta. Um, at 31 years old, I finally, left the province to live elsewhere so that's like a big move for me yeah mm. good for you have you two been no not since i was a kid i i was um i did up like one summer vacation where we kind of like bounced around all over my uh one half of my family a lot of them like hail from new brunswick but not uh or sorry from nova scotia uh, doesn't even know where it's yeah, from. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, well, like some of them are from New Brunswick. Mostly, they're from Nova Scotia, actually. Though, um, like they they were a farming family um, from near Halifax. Cool. Oh, very cool. So I was bragging to a friend that I had a pre pre-read copy of a really awesome horror collection. I was like, look, it even says on <laughs> it for pre-release for special <laughs> people. <laughs> You're very cool. special, Maddie. One of the is. one of the special ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, not as special as you. I didn't write the stories in there. They're pretty scary. <laughs> That's what I'll if you ever want me to write like a book jacket quote for you, I'll say that and I'll spell it drawn out the way I just said it I would love that <laughs> please do um yeah I'm gonna get in touch with you for the next one sounds good <laughs> um I have a question though who's Jamie Blanks oh Jamie Blanks he is the director of the late 90s slash film urban legend and the early uh, 2000s slash film know. valentine um and he also made two Australian films called storm warning and long weekend 
Um, and he's, in addition to being a very talented filmmaker, he's also a great uh, composer and he wow. also edits. He's just, he's like a full rounded auteur. Um, and it's crazy. I was like a big fan of Jamie's work. Um, when he first reached out to me on Twitter, when we first got in touch, I was like, I literally have an urban legend t-shirt. And I sent him a picture uh -huh. of me wearing an urban legend t-shirt. <laughs> um, it was very surreal. Yeah. Um, and he's also like the sweetest guy in the horror world. So Jamie's the best. So hence the dedication. Yeah. Yeah. I met, I feel like meeting Jamie when I did was um, just like, uh, it was just at the right moment. 2018 to 2021 were very tumultuous at times traumatizing years. I think, you know, some of the stuff that happened, I don't really, yeah. I've been talking about it in detail in any podcast, but um <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of like in a very discouraged and dark place in a way. Um, and when I when Jamie and I connected, it just felt reinvigorating. We we ended up collaborating on a few things together and we just had this powerful kind of creative synthesis. And it just um, I don't know, I feel like it kind of resuscitated me and just his friendship and his support was like, I don't know. Um, I was like, he's he's a rare he's a rare sort. So I, was, I wanted to dedicate the book to him. Oh, that's very oh. nice. Yeah. Bit of a horror defibrillation moment. Yeah, a horror bromance too, I think. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> so, okay, you were talking about having been in a dark place. Were any of the stories that we can read of yours, like specifically coming out of that experience? Because usually that's what, you know, you we artist types tend to do <laughs> totally yeah yeah I mean like um both shelter for the damned and darkest hours are personal novels I'd say in a more abstract way though I, I, sorry personal books shelter for the damned is a novel darkest hours mm -hmm. is a short story collection um but I feel like part of what I did in those books is I sort of piled on a lot of genre imagery um in a way to shield myself whereas I feel like peel back and see um, is just kind of closer to the actual feelings. So I'm very explicit in many of the stories that I'm writing about chronic depression and anxiety and trauma. Um, and several of the stories were actually um, came from this kind of paradoxical, paradoxical place where depression was making me uh, feel like I was incapable of writing or really doing anything. So I tried to write my way through that feeling, which became this weird metacognitive thing. Um, so a lot of the stories are just like literally moving through those feelings using horror narrative as like, a um, as a catalyst, I guess. Yeah. I, I like, I, I didn't get a chance to read every single story in it, but I, I did, uh, for each one I did, I checked your author notes. Um, and it seemed like most of these were written, um, during pandemic. Um, yeah or at least quite a few. And, and I'm grateful that you did note exactly like when this was written and, and what was going on. Um, and so like, to me, some of the horror that like really resonated was that was just like the very isolated feeling that all the, um, that your characters had and that, that worked. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted um I, I wanted to, um, I mean, I wanted to continue writing. Two of the stories I had anthology invites and I had to write something. 
Mm-hmm. One of them um, offered to the adversary. It's about um, this art scholar who's obsessed with this painting. But I've realized in retrospect, oh, this is also sort of about someone who's being kind of subsumed into a surface, subsumed into some kind of something like a screen. So a lot of the stories, even if it wasn't literal, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, that's probably part of what was going on, you know? You did that in Virus as well, which I actually heard on the No Sleep podcast ages and ages before this book ever came out. Oh, cool. Yeah, like we weren't even really in touch at the time when that aired, right? So I heard it and I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) What? (laughs) I know this person. Um, uh, But I noticed that in Darkest Hours, obviously addiction was a theme in that, but it was more direct in like addiction to drugs or something or like weird little fairies in some case. Um, But, (laughs) but in this collection, it feels like addiction is a theme again, but it's more so the addiction to technology and like those little dopamine hits that you keep getting. And that goes coincides with the timing of the writing and the feeling of isolation that John was pointing out. Yeah, absolutely. It's done Um, to great effect. Good job. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks friend. No, it's fine. The offer to the adversary is literally the one where it like that was the theme that's that stood out to me the most. And I don't know if we want to get into it right now because I, I think we haven't discussed Maddie and I any of the stories like directly. Well, with each the, other. With each, yeah, there I were a couple, a couple that we read that she read to me. Um, and so we discussed it at the time, but anything that I read on my own, we haven't discussed. And I so think- I think that one in particular, we have different takeaways from it i just wanted to go on the record that spoiler alert i've never scooped out anyone's eyeballs (laughs) just so everybody's clear because you keep talking about how she's like an evil witch and i was like yeah very evil human sacrifice evil painting eyeball scooper level spoiler (laughs) go back and rewind that and don't listen to it if you didn't read the story yet I guess I can put a spoiler alert at the beginning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we can talk about things in depth. That's cool with me. That's fun. Uh, it's, that seems like a very romantic story to read to your fiance, though. That's nice. <laughs> I didn't read that one. She didn't read that one. Oh, you didn't? Yeah, she, oh. she said, like, Public today has- she said, like, make sure you read that one before because, yeah. like, she has thoughts. But I think my... It's not criticism. <laughs> Am I in trouble? I just wanted to make a joke about like witches because this is a witchcraft podcast. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's an interesting question. Like these tropes and how witches are um, historically depicted in horror narratives and in horror media. And I was kind of engaging with some of those tropes deliberately because this Mm -hmm. story was written for an anthology dedicated to the Italian horror filmmaker, Lucio Fulci. So yeah, I was engaging like directly with some of the ideas, especially in his film, The Beyond from 1981. Um, So yeah, I was was sort of playing with that a little bit, but to me, um, obviously the fact that this person is a witch is not what's scary about her. What's scary about her is that she's a vindictive, cruel, evil person. <laughs> Maniac. Although I also kept thinking, again, this is a spoiler. If you haven't read the story, go buy the collection right now. Is it out yet? Yeah, you can pre-order it. Oh. It'll be released on the 29th of October. We'll go over that again, everyone. Yeah. Link below. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, when she's like in the middle of her ritual and the cops come break, like busting into her house, I was like, 
girl didn't put up any very good protections on her house and her circle must not be cast correctly. Hello, like what's going on here? Why is anyone able to invade your space with your mid ritual? She needed your your help. She was missing a good Maddie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely wanted to make her better at what she was doing. <laughs> no. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, but okay, but that kind of like goes to how I read it, which was that I don't know that she was a witch. Mm, the artist. I see. It's just like because it. But you have you can ask him. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's right there. I don't know. Like, <laughs> It seems silly for us to discuss the work right in front of me, but to me, (laughs) the artist never, like, there was nothing that definitively said that the artist was a witch besides uh, Kat, the the scholar, interpreting Mm. her and identifying her as a witch. And to me, like, that was, that was the interesting point of it was that, like, the the scholar and her interpretation and like her her descent into madness was not necessarily driven by any of the the magic so much as it could have been her own like psyche her own like mental break as she like tried to delve in and, and either succeeded or potentially failed in interpreting and understanding this other person which she couldn't like mm. ever have a dialogue with right mm. that's like cool. I, so you so you that's the way you read it was that it's it's sort of in cat's psyche in a way yes 100 cool. i guess i assumed because it's presented that she's been studying this artist and she's an accomplished scholar i just assumed she had the facts but I, and I like I think for me it was that I I in my own like scholarly pursuits always felt like even when I succeeded I I never felt like I was actually like fully understanding some something so much as like mm-hmm. uncovering something about myself that like resonated with whatever I was like interested in what I was looking at. And so for her, it was like there was some kind of like underlying madness and it reflected the artist, but it didn't actually, it didn't necessarily, I don't know. It's it wasn't, it wasn't, madness. it wasn't the same. She goes, gets sucked into the painting at the end. Her face is inexplicably in it. She painted. Or is it? <laughs> <All right>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always. Um, any of those movies that you watch where it's like, was it real or was it all in their head? I'm always like, it was real. Every time I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm always on team. It really happened no matter what. Mm. Always. <laughs> I mean, I think that story was also probably, it was definitely dedicated to Fulci, but I think it was also inspired by um, the Italian horror filmmaker Dario Argento. And also probably to some extent by the Rob Zombie film, Wars of Salem. And all of these films okay. traffic in some of what you two are talking about this, like, um, this kind of wavering terrain between the real and the imagined and kind of playing with that. And I wanted the story to have this kind of slippery psychic quality. So you're slipping in and out of her dreams. Mm-hmm. I don't even really announce them as dreams a lot of the time mm-hmm. until you're midway through them. So it's, that's cool that you both yeah. have those differing readings and I refuse to... Um, uh, <laughs> so good. Right? Validate either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> okay. 
I have a normal question. Okay. So you set mini Mc, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. McDonough Hugh. Yep. McDonough. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, in quote, small town, Alberta. Yeah. And um, I wanted to know that now, since you're living in Fredericton, can we expect some spooky maritime stories in the future? I certainly hope so. Um, the PhD, the, it's weird. Like, ironically, the creative writing PhD so far has been so busy that I haven't been able to do any creative writing. Um, so hopefully that, <laughs> I mean, I will be doing a dissertation, which will be a new novel. Um, the novel I'm working on now, I've been working on for a while, and it is set in Alberta. So I've got to get through that. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, I feel like the landscapes here and the terrain and just the vibe of the city is so much different than anything in Alberta that I'd love to kind of soak that up and explore that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, Minnie McDonough Manor is a very Alberta story. It was for an Alberta anthology um, called Prairie Gothic. They asked mm -hmm. me to write something very specifically kind of prairie set. Yeah. Um, so I just tried to like draw on as many specific things about the prairies that I could. I think you did really well with that, especially with the character of the brother, like the way that he was described. Mm -hmm. He's uh, drinking a Tim's and holding a cigarette at the same time. And, like he has a <laughs> tooth that's like stuck on and like sticking up like this. Mm. It's all just very, very Alberta. I was, yeah. <laughs> Like you know that guy, right? I yeah, feel like I know that guy. I've definitely met that guy before. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to hear spooky Fredericton Maritimes because I, I mean, I haven't been there like we already covered, but I've seen a lot of pictures, and it looks not only very picturesque, but also a lot of area, a lot of cliffs, yeah. not a lot yeah. of people. You know, a lot of like dark waves crashing up against <laughs> uh, rocks and shit. I'm excited for you to describe it. Well, and you moved from one of Canada's Bible belts to the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Eh? So there's plenty of horror to draw on in both yeah. both realms for sure. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even think about that, but that's true. Yeah. Before you moved away, um, I was saying that once you move and you're like living in a new city by yourself and it's all beautiful, you'll be able to romanticize your life. Did it work? <laughs> Did it happen? Uh, too busy so far, but uh, oh, I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> I went on uh, one Tinder date. It wasn't very romantic. Um, um, what? A Tinder date was not romantic? I know. It's shocking. hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, I went on a Tinder date and otherwise... I wake up at six every day and I read and write with meal breaks until like 9 p.m. But that's kind of romantic in a way. It I is. I think that totally is. That's like very almost, I don't know, like Bob Dylan-esque of you kind of or something. Like the dedication to the work is so great that you're like, I only stop to eat a sandwich and then immediately back to clickety clack clack. I assure you it's just pure desperation. You see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well when you write about it in your autobiography you can claim that it's <laughs> that it's a dedication to your art yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> no you wouldn't be dishonest like that <laughs> i think more about the hunter thompson self-mythologizing about like the breakfast that were like 
it's an entire spread, but then also it's like cocaine. I love that. Don't go down the Stephen King um, route that way. Mm. Like I know he's an influence, but you know, stay off the cough syrup and the cocaine. Ideally you don't want like your, your version of Tabitha. If she comes along to be digging crusty Coke spoons out of your <laughs> garbage and being like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, no, we don't want that. We don't want that. <laughs> Thankfully, he's, uh, yeah, he's doing good now, so. That's true, that's true. Um, his book on writing, though, like, he goes so in-depth into his history with addiction and everything. It's really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, it is. And he got hit by a truck and then still finished it. Literally got hit by a truck and was like, well, I'm in the middle of a book, so let me just get back to work. Yeah, I and he think. bought that vehicle. Um, Because he didn't want some weird misery-esque situation to unfold where some crazed fan bought it for for nefarious purposes. Oh my god! Yeah, he bought the 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 vehicle and had it (laughs) destroyed. Yeah. Oh my god! (laughs) We must put this in the crusher. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I already mentioned that Havoc gave me goosebumps, and I have a lot of notes on here about it because I kept read. I would read like another sentence and be like. Fuck. <laughs> just like, where from where did you manage to pull this perfectly unhinged way of typing for the character who's like he's reading the account of going in and like having like the internet post that he's reading about it is the dialogue I guess the typed dialogue is so like just perfection of a like internet maniac blog thank you you. no that's um that's actually really relieving to hear because an earlier draft of the story had a version of that um post that was less messy and it just wasn't working as well and I have a few trusted first readers who always look at my yeah drafts and they kind of flagged that section of the story and said this isn't quite working and they floated some ideas by me so I I really sculpted that part of the story quite a bit because I did want to capture a real sense of um madness and I was like how do you type madness how do you show madness in the written form here because he's not speaking to anybody you're not seeing any action you're kind of telling madness without telling it um so that was tricky. And I'm very, very glad to hear that it worked for you because I worked I on that part of the story for a while. Well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And good, the description good. of the webpage too, of being black with red font and stuff. <laughs> like, oh, it brings me back. It reminds mm. me of last time we just discussed Nexopia and I was like, I'm right back there right now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the bad uh, torch gifts, I think I said. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, so funny. And then also in that story, after he reads this post and like, does a bunch of stuff he just closes the laptop and it's literally the that's enough internet for today (laughs) moment (laughs) which is so relatable that once you start falling down certain rabbit holes on the internet you get to a point where you're like no (laughs) that's yeah internet for today (laughs) totally yeah 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 I wanted to play with that internet rabbit hole thing especially well that's definitely one of the pandemic stories um yeah the first and last stories were written very close to the time that we've like finalized the manuscript. Um, Havoc was written most like before Fade to White, Fade to White. Fade to White was written within the past couple months. I just knew the book wow. needed a new, 
yeah, kind of bookend to mirror the beginning. Mm, yeah. Great job. Um, yeah. So I, I just had to, I just knew it needed it. Um, yeah. And thankfully the publisher was willing to accommodate that because it, it originally ended with Entropy Major, which was kind of like a science fiction thing. Yeah. Um, and it didn't feel quite right as the final story. So well, I, I really like Fade to White, but it was like, a, as you self-admit in, in the notes, quite different from other things that you you've attempted and like, I didn't immediately think Ellis like Brady Snelson when I was reading it, but once once I read that, it was like, oh yeah, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I think it is a good bookend. It's it, like very timely. Or, Thank you. No. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I have a question. <laughs> I'm such a dick. I'm so sorry. You, I love okay. it. So I want to, I've been actually thinking a lot about um, creating a smoking blend that if I want to go outside of a bar, I don't have to smoke cigarette and I don't have to smoke um, like weed that could either make me have a great time or make me believe that the raccoons work for the CIA. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, we've all been there. (laughs) Yeah. Like somewhere in between. Anyways. So I've been like thinking about it a lot and looking up which herbs can you smoke? How, what are the, what is the effect? And so I wrote, I have a note that says smoking cloaks, oregano, sure, but bones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) How did you come up with that? How? Uh, Okay, so the um, the bone smoking element of the story exhumation is actually connected to (laughs) a really dark inside joke I had with a group of friends. Amazing. Um, I can't remember how it came about, but we all made a pact that whoever died first, we consented to being to having our corpse turned into a bong for the other people <laughs> to smoke. <laughs> I don't know. There were a lot of drinks that night. And yeah, yeah. Was, everybody was like, OK, yeah, that seems fair. Like if I die first, everyone can use my corpse as a bong. Um, and I just so I think that's where some of the imagery and exhumation started. Uh, and that's I just amazing. took it into yeah those friends must read that and then just be like holy shit Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah I mean I think this really speaks to your talent as an author but every single time I read something new from you I I have to tell myself I'm like because my first thought is this guy must be a maniac and then I'm like no you know him (laughs) you know him he's not a maniac he's a very cool normal guy um but yeah the right that's what you think I'm just I'm pretty well, you just described your day-to-day as just like working a lot and eating sometimes so that's pretty normal <laughs> yeah I eat a lot of vegetables I try to eat my fruit and vegetables I stay hydrated I read a yeah. lot of books that's it because you're a vegan that's me <laughs> <laughs> in the um oh my gosh I'm so bad with the titles but the story with the sisters um, they go on the little road trip. You keep describing the plate where the sister is eating a steak off of it. And I was just like, this just makes me want a steak. And I know that that's not how Mike intends it. And that that's not how he feels about it at all. And I just kind of was like having a private joke and laughing with myself. about that. <laughs> well, um, the, the, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder or something. I, guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, that's funny (laughs) I thought you would like that 
regarding Havoc earlier, we were talking about Havoc. Uh-huh. I don't remember if we talked, did we talk last episode about how that story originated with um, a sleep paralysis episode that I had? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, Cause I don't we know. were talking about the long man and then it took us to that place. I think it was the long. That's right. That's so I was probably, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think I might've been finishing a draft of, of Havoc the last time Maddie uh-huh. and I spoke or had just cool. recently. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So your sleep paralysis demon, does it look similar to the havoc creature? Yes. <laughs> it's a di- yeah, it's a direct description. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a scene in the story that's just lifted literally as as um as accurately as I could describe the, wow. the sleep paralysis. Yeah. So something was pushing against the inside of my light fixture on my ceiling, black, inky, it looked really heavy. Um, the fixture kept kind of sagging. I could see it straining under the weight. It fell and clattered on the floor. And this thing landed on uh, at the foot of my bed, like on my feet. And it was heavy and kind of formless and insectile. And it started moving up my leg. And uh, it took me a while to realize that it was not real. It As sleep paralysis episodes do. And it took me a while to kind of yank myself out of it. Um, God, that's so, terrifying. It was very scary. Yeah. I've never had a sleep paralysis episode like that at mm-hmm. all. Like, yeah. So as a horror writer, I was like, oh, I can use that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's like the positive gift. side. Yeah. Of anything like <laughs> you. You're like, well, this is, I'm going to convert it. Here it mm-hmm. comes. Do you have something to say, sir? Uh, <laughs> Not about sleep paralysis, demon. Okay. Were you moving on to something else? Yes. I've never had sleep paralysis. I can't speak right. on it. I once had a very scary false awakening dream where the dream was that I was standing in a really long line of people in like a prairie, like just tall wheat and nothing around at all, completely stark and like a long, long, long line of people. Mm. And then I woke up. And I was in my bed, except Kathy Bates was sitting in a chair beside my bed. And she leaned over and said, don't worry, we'll be waiting. And then I woke up for real in like a cold sweat. And I was, like, oh my <laughs> was it misery, Kathy Bates, or about sure. Kathy Bates or some well, other? Mm, I think it actually probably was that other Stephen King one where she like kills her husband because he's molesting her daughter. Dolores Claiborne. Yes, Dolores Claiborne, exactly. Because I think I had just watched that. I don't know why she was after me. I'm not a pedophile. Anyways, she scared me. <laughs> I don't make the dream rules. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that movie just stuck with me, that's all. Right. Are we going to my question? <laughs> yes. um, I noticed in a couple of your stories, there was a character referenced of like a malicious foster parent and um, I work with a lot of kids that are like involved with child and family services. And so, and it, like, we can cut all this if you're uncomfortable, but do you have a lot of experience with that or? No, Mike has parents. <laughs> <laughs> I've met them. <laughs> okay. Well, that, like I, I was curious about where that was coming from. The foster parents in specific? Yeah. Um, I guess those are connected to stories from people I've known, people mm. I've been close to, but yeah, that I, 
I lived with my biological parents. So those, those particular details are not biographical in any sense. Um, but aspects of just like, uh, I guess, childhood trauma and, and, um, adults doing bad things to kids, that sort of thing. You know, I'm sure Mm -hmm. many of us have, have, uh, stories we can tell. So I'm always drawing. None of it read as inaccurate to me. Like, oh, cool. It's very, uh, Not that cool. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> no, cool like, for him because it yeah. means he was right, even though yeah. he doesn't have direct experience with that. <laughs> the no. muse was there to guide you. No, like I, I do think like it's a very like good avenue for horror to go down because like all of these traumatized kids tend it it tends to spiral for them where they continue to get re-traumatized by trusted characters and. It was it was a thing that I noticed in the background of a lot of, of the stories, but never at the forefront. So I was curious just where specifically it was coming from. For sure. Yeah, no, that's and that's interesting to hear about your experience with that too. Um and that idea of re-traumatizing is is such like a sad reality too. And also, and maybe it's a bit of a cliche, but people often talk about like the the gateway drug is usually trauma. Like it's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. so in terms of thinking about like many of the ways these stories are are engaging with addiction too, it's it's often kind of originated in some some really traumatic or some some kind of early psychological rupture or emotional rupture in childhood. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah, last time we talked, I said something about writing. I said people wouldn't want to read the type of horror that I would write. And you said, I want to read it, but it's because it would be like traumatizing. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I would just go straight for that, which I guess I did when I wrote Tansy for that anthology. So thanks for telling me to do that. I've got my fingers crossed for you. Have you heard anything? I got it. You got in? Yeah. Oh my God, congratulations. That's so cool. (laughs) Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. She was waiting for today to tell you. Yeah, I wanted to see your face. We got 40 minutes in before it came (laughs) up. I'm so thrilled. That's so cool. Day made. That's amazing. When does the book come out? Do you know? Is is it? uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just found out that like, I yeah. So. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, so, so happy for you. That's, that's rad. Well, mm. it's literally because of you, because you shared it. To, like, I would have not seen it otherwise. So thanks. But you wrote the story, so. Yeah, that's true. That's why John made me this special drink. He said, what did you say about it? Because I said, oh, uh, you even use the big ice cubes. Because we have, like, the big square ice cube. That's what well, it was. It was originally, she said, like, last time I interviewed him, he was drinking scotch because yes. he's a writer. I didn't say because he's a writer. I didn't say that. I just said he was drinking scotch. <laughs> you inferred it was because he's a writer. Okay. <laughs> it is mandatory. Yeah, it is mandatory. I mean, like, I myself am Scottish descended, but we're not much scotch drinkers here. So oh. I said I would get bourbon. And then, okay. um, yeah, I made her an old-fashioned with that. And I said... She said, ooh, you're using the big ice cube. And I said, yeah, like writers can have big ice cube as a treat. <laughs> cheers. Yeah, cheers. cheers. <laughs> All three of my drinks are empty. <laughs> it's why I need three. Do you want anything? Yeah. 
What do you want? More of that? Yeah. Okay. If you're getting some, he's going to go get another drink. Right. Writers get drinks. That's what they, <laughs> comes <laughs> with the territory. I didn't actually drink when I was writing that short story, though. I mean, I drank coffee, I guess, but I didn't drink alcohol. Well, I feel like you can't. Get away. Okay, let me have another sip at least. Well, no, I can just bring it in a vessel and pour it in there. Well, don't spill it all over the audio equipment. Then where will we be? (laughs) (laughs) You can just have the recording of me speaking and pausing for long times and laughing. (laughs) Yeah, just laughing at something no one could hear. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'll post just that side of the audio on, it'll be like a tabloid. It's like, Horror author Mike <laughs> Thorne loses his mind. <laughs> loses his goddamn mind. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, that'd be cool. Yeah, generate some controversy for, but like that's soft controversy. <laughs> that's the right kind. That's so true. And for like a horror writer, for people to be like, he's genuinely insane. You have to read his books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that could really work. You're onto something. <laughs> Wow. Tell your agent oh. I said hi. <laughs> I will. So you've been so you've been talking to Stacy, huh? Uh, just the one email about the story. Yeah, that's so fucking cool. I'm I was so, so shocked. Like I had already written it off. I was like, I don't want to think about it. I didn't hear like when it was kind of like around the whatever day they said it would be, the fifth of October or something. I was like, well, it's passed. I didn't hear. And then John asked me. He's like. So did you ever hear? And I was like, no, I didn't. Shut up. I don't want to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then I finally like actually checked my email and it was only like probably a couple days late. I'm just such a drama queen. Oh, it's so hard though. When you're waiting to hear back from a publisher. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I know that feeling. That's, um, that's so cool though. Yeah. I'm really, yeah, it was really exciting. And I mean, I wrote it about, I mean, it's about a woman who is trying to succeed in uh, performing an herbal abortion on herself after a rape. So Whoa. it's pretty dark. <laughs> like that's kind of what I meant when I was like, people won't want to read this. It's too dark. It's like really, but I guess they do. Stacy said she like enjoyed it. So I feel like, th- I mean, <laughs> there, there should always be room to go to the darkest places in fiction, regardless of genre. And I, you know, horror should be, be a home to, venture into those really uncomfortable places you know that's true if not horror then where else exactly yeah oh i can't wait to read that though i'm definitely gonna pick up the book when it comes out oh well i could just send it to you you've done it for me many times i would love that if you would actually want to read it yeah definitely of course i want to read are you kidding thank you (laughs) yeah please send it yeah (laughs) that's so cool oh here he comes I almost said, how are you carrying all of those? As if I forgot that you worked in this industry for like a million years. <laughs> Look, it's my or, glass of whiskey. Okay, so we were driving through the Icefields Parkway. We went mm. to Jasper a little while ago. And it was on the drive back where our playlist ran out and like there's no internet or anything. But I had the file that you sent me like downloaded onto my phone. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like I'll read the stories to you while you're driving, which is why John was like, she read some of them to me. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was cool. Have you done that drive? No, I don't think I have. I've heard it's beautiful though. It looks like, well, in October when we went, when it's like literally an ice storm as you're driving, it looks like you're on another planet. Yeah. Wow. It's oh, like, like wild. a lot of it is, is 
similar to you know driving anywhere else in like east hootenies but then like when you're actually in the the ice fields part totally different planet because it's just huge pointy ass black mountains and white snow and white sky and white ice crystals like flying into your eyeballs and whoa it's so crazy i should do that sometime and it sounds like october is the time to do it right (laughs) yeah I mean, yeah. You won't Debatable. die on the highway, probably. Sure. Yeah. So, was it a scary drive? No. no. Did you no. find it scary? No. It, the roads weren't bad or anything. That's what I mean. Like, so, but that's that's the one thing is that like because of climate change, right now October is mm-hmm. like very like fine time to do that drive. Previously, mm-hmm. like those a lot of those highways would have been iced over. That's true. Which is like still fine like if you have good tires and everything but kind of dependent well I definitely because we were reading your stories and then we got to the actual ice fields and John was like because I'm looking at it reading like I'm looking at my phone and John's like look and I look up and I was like oh my god Mm -hmm. I immediately thought like Mike needs to see I mean we took pictures but they don't do it justice I was just like he needs to see this because he'll write some crazy ass like alien story about it you gotta send me the pictures you have the pictures yeah Hmm. we have cool Cool. we were we went on this like tiny tiny hike that's i think it was like 1.3 kilometers or something it's not a hike like a little walk over to a certain part of the thing and i it was so windy and so cold and like i said little ice crystals like stabbing you in the face on the wind like Hmm. Yeah. And I literally turned around as I was walking. Like I, so I took a few steps like backwards walking to look at John and say, this is like a totally inhospitable environment. And then I hit a rock that was exactly the height of my knee, took my knee out. I fell all the way down spine first onto another pointy rock. (laughs) Oh my God. Like I literally said, this is not a place for humans to be. And then immediately (laughs) fucking destroyed myself. (laughs) Oh, that sounds treacherous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It really was. (laughs) Is that a picture of me looking so pissed? After I fell down, I got up and I screamed, I hate this place. And then I threw a rock. (laughs) I want a photo of that moment. (laughs) (laughs) No, I took a picture of the rock that owned her (laughs) (laughs) perfect commemorate yeah okay i have another question vomit vomitus i love this story it's so good it's so gross it's so poignant it hits so many different like themes so i want to know like what is it about like what is your intention with that story because i feel like it's talking about capitalism for sure and like hierarchies Mm -hmm. but then I was like is it about like imperialism is it something Mm -hmm. to do with like slavery or is it just like class anyways yeah yeah no for sure I mean the story is definitely dealing in images around um exploitation through I think yeah I'm, I'm definitely drawing on um imperialism and colonialism and slavery, um, but also just plain old capitalist exploitation. So just exploitation in general, the abuse of power structures um, and this sort of alien class revolt 
Um, and I kind of dialed back on some of the imagery in later drafts of the story that made it clearly a revolt. I wanted it to be a little bit more cryptic. Like you don't know, are they filled with rage? Have they been planning this all along? Um, I, I guess I wanted to retain some of their alienness in a way. Right. Um, yeah, and then I guess the story veers into kind of psychedelic cosmic horror. That's something that was interesting me in a few of these stories was like some of the crossover between imagery normally associated with psychedelic art and narratives and also with cosmic horror and how you can bring those things together. Um, just kind of like detaching a mind from substance in a way and what happens when mm, you do that. Totally. So, and, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no problem. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that one thing I kept thinking is that they're, they're taking in this uh, substance that's an alien substance that then makes them have this, you know, crazy experience, this like orgiastic out of body experience. So it's like, well, this isn't for you though. This is from another planet. You're not supposed to eat that. <laughs> like, I yes. don't know how much more clear that could possibly be than it's literally alien food. Like that's not good to eat. But that's also the way that you could feel about like a lot of destructive substances that people use all the time on the daily, right? Like mm-hmm. if you've ever smelled crack burning like when it's being smoked it smells like burning metal and you just are like if you're not the one doing it you're like what the fuck is are you doing are you trying to smoke the kitchen sink like are you insane that can't be good for you yeah people do it still that's a good point yeah yeah no that's a really good analogy and and you're right yeah it's it's interesting the lengths people will go to um and there is obviously this cognitive dissonance and i play with that in the story where people think like is this right? Um, yeah. And, and they just kind of laugh it off or they say they, they like it. They like living off our vomit. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so it's, it's interesting the ways that we justify the things we do to ourselves and mm-hmm. to each other. I like playing with some of those like cognitive dissonances. I also like the idea that I don't know if this probably wasn't intentional because I don't imagine that you're throwing hands at other writers, but the idea of house elves in Harry Potter is an mm-hmm. unironic version of what you wrote, basically. <laughs> and you're just like, whoa, Rowling, calm down. <laughs> I mean, it's, I've, I grew up on Harry Potter like everyone else in our generation. Yeah. So maybe maybe it emerged from my unconscious right. uh, in some way. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even think of the house elves thing until just like when we started talking about it. I didn't catch That's it during the story, but in talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's because you're here because John always talks about how fucked up like multiple things in Harry Potter are, including house elves and the fact that Mm -hmm. the bankers are all goblins that have like big noses and (laughs) and stuff. (laughs) Like he he always kind of goes into those. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's why it came to mind. Now, as an avid reader of anything that you write, and I now I've read your novel, I've read like all your short stories that you've published, except for the last like two. So I'm gonna, I'll read them. I'm excited of the peel slowly and see. I mean, oh, okay. Um, oh yeah, right. I haven't read the bookend, 
but I'm really excited too now that you described it and you said you just wrote it. So yeah, I'm yeah. really excited. Um, but as a as an avid reader of yours, now I find that you just like a lot of times when the conflict is occurring between like a monster and your character the experience that the character has is of like non-existence or of like nothingness right Mm -hmm. and in in deep primer you describe depression as deadly nothingness and so i couldn't help but notice that you use the idea of deadly nothingness a lot and that you just actually like called it straight depression in that story. And I was kind of curious if depression was part of the monster that you're portraying in like Shelter for the Damned, your novel, or in other stories where you talk about. Fade to white. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's probably most transparent in this book, like I said, but I think, um a lot of my fiction is coming from someone who's been dealing with a pretty severe chronic depression for over half his life. So that rears its head in the fiction, I think. Um, and in Peel Back and See, I wanted to confront it directly. So Deprimer, I guess, was, I think, again, I, 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 I've talked about this in a few different interviews, but I look at the spine of Peel Back and See as being Havoc, Deprimer, and Fade to White. They're kind mm. of thematically connected. And they're, they're my most kind of exposed stories in a way where I'm just like looking directly at the thing with very little um, abstraction. I guess Havoc does involve a kind of dimension hopping mm-hmm. uh, being that manifests through an internet live feed, but um, <laughs> I am still a horror writer and, and Deprimer as well. I'm kind of um, visualizing depression in a monstrous way. But yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Shelter for the Damned, um, is in some ways an abstract, like, again, all my books are personal. I think that book, having been written in my early 20s, depicts the fear of kind of entering into adulthood and feeling like you don't belong anywhere, Mm. feeling scared, feeling um, out of place, feeling kind of alien, and just Mm -hmm. not, not knowing where to orient oneself. So yeah, I think there are like shreds of depression there in Mark too. I kind of ambiguated Mark as much as I could in that book because I didn't want to pathologize him. Um, and it's interesting because some readers have pathologized him, which I find really interesting. There's like very differing reads on on hmm. why Mark is the way he is. So yeah, I don't know if that's a if that answers your question at all. No, that's interesting. I think yeah. I I felt that Mark was a very relatable character in that story like just like you said the feeling of feeling like you don't belong anywhere like you don't fit in like you don't measure up to your peers all these things are something that I mean I think a lot of people have experienced including Mm -hmm. myself you know probably pretty much everyone at some point in time unless they are like a genuine psychopath then they would be like I'm the best always (laughs) but (laughs) anyone besides them has probably felt that that's the point. <laughs> that that is definitely Fade to White is the one that's that stuck with me the most because like I don't know if I identified with the character or or it's just like his interactions with the world. Okay, 
these other characters, are they speaking or are they saying what this person wants them to say? And, and so like, I do want to re-review it and like look at like all the other interactions because yeah, without, I don't know, like I don't want to spoil it completely, but like all of the things, especially like the idea of being on your 14th therapist that is like, it's your 14th because you're going to the ones that are still like, you know, not fully licensed <laughs> um, and, and you're helping them with their practicum. That's very like evocative, I think, of a lot of our generation and like mm-hmm. it's it personally resonant and never quite getting the answer that you wanted and so you continue to just seek it out and like fill in the blanks yourself like Mm -hmm. that's yeah that is very much a personal terror thank you yeah that's um yeah i just i guess i wanted to be real in that story and and i'm glad you brought up the interactions that the protagonist has with the two cam girls and those two exchanges Mm -hmm. are yeah. different the way they're kind of configured in the story but i i deliberately used italics in that story to signal the typed messages and the um private rooms with the cam girls because italics we customarily associate with um internal monologue yeah. in fiction so as he's alternating between these really dark admissions to the cam girls or maybe to himself and and just kind of um i guess soliciting like commands like what he wants to see them do you as a reader are left to determine what is actually being said here. Is any of it being said? I, I like that it, it, there was like, is any of it really being said, but also like the obscurity of the the transaction where it's just like, oh, like I'm using tokens. Wait, what website am I on? What do tokens mean? Like, like none of it is like a clear, like, there's no clear one-to-one of like, is this a, a transactional relationship? And like, am I, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, that's, um, I was nervous to actually put that story out in the world because I felt like I was kind of, um, I don't know, it felt new to me in a way, which I think is probably a good thing. Um, and mm-hmm. Havoc too, I was like, I was like, what am I doing with these stories? It felt more, um, I don't know, like I said, less less guarded by the armature of genre and just right. more explicitly about alienation, anxiety. Um, and uh, ultimately I decided I'm just going to put it out there and hope readers respond to it. But um, yeah, um, well, we yeah, did. Brad Easton Ellis is a huge influence for sure on that story. Um, a, a big part of what I like about what Ellis does is the dissonance between content and form. So these kind of really chilly, minimalist sentence structures to evoke intensely emotional experiences. Um, Mm -hmm. And and the way this sometimes brings about an ambiguity between numbness and pain. You're like, is this character experiencing pain or are they just at this point kind of shut off to the pain and the suffering? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess I was drawing on like his style in a way too, in that way. I think that those stories in specifically the stories that you wrote during pandemic and peel slowly and see are at risk of flattering you too much. I think that they're <laughs> going to be like important work in terms of art, because this is un, unprecedented times that we're living in. And I think that you, you dive into the experience of 
of the the collective experience that everybody was kind of having and is even now um so yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they're one of or all whatever they're in a textbook someday (laughs) oh thank you um yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you bring up like this, this, um, how we are living in an unprecedented time and the pandemic is just kind of something you can't escape in a way. But I also, I guess I wanted to avoid writing like capital P pandemic fiction. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I didn't want it to be like, this is a COVID story. But also I couldn't avoid the fact that I was existing in those circumstances. And Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted it to kind of be a backdrop or just like the conditions of reality that the characters were living within without, you know, maybe gesturing to like something idiotic Trump might have said or whatever. Like I wanted to avoid yeah. some of those really blunt signifiers while still getting at the affect if I could. So that was kind of the yeah. attempt anyway. You definitely got at it and it was not on the nose. I think it was very, very. Thank you. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And like I, I would agree and I would say like that is one thing that I was very grateful about was that there was never like it wasn't pointing to the specific conditions of pandemic and like putting on masks and whatever other fucking complaints people might have but like yeah I think grabs even, the bridge of his nose complaints people might have <laughs> I think you know even prior to 2020 prior to 2019 like the condition of loneliness was incredibly prevalent without anyone like actually pointing to it as a prevailing theme of like modern life right now and then like that just exacerbated the hell out of it and so it's like uh, how we kind of started the conversation is is like yeah these relationships that people build between you know screens or certain things without any kind of like external output inputs from society from from like partners friends whatever and mm-hmm. like I I, I stated that as a general theme and and you said like yeah that was a um, offer to the adversary it was like you were treating the art as a screen and to me that's like yeah and I think the idea of that not being a modern invention, but being mm. something like primordial is very important to recognize because like people will, will take these signifiers as something that like says there's like, no, like this is a thing that's happening now, which I don't think is necessarily true. Mm. Even mm. if be like exaggerated as of now, because I like, I always think about the uh, lost my coaster. Is it the 18th premiere, Marks? Oh, sorry, one more time. Yeah, the 18th premiere, Karl Marx. He talks about like how like like French farmers they would have this relationship to. Louis Napoleon because they had his painting and it's just like they're not because mm-hmm. they're farmers they're not mm-hmm. talking to each other but like they can elect this one guy because it's like oh yeah he's there he's he's the guy and it doesn't mean anything it's it's just an association that they have and and um so like I do believe it's kind of like a primordial thing of like 
if we're not out there and we're not associating and we're not like talking to people and understanding each other, then yeah, we're going to go like a little like nutty. Yeah. 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 And I think, I mean, I think that's very true. I think these are kind of um, pre-existing conditions or possibilities between people, but I think something I talk about often, usually in private, but is as that I believe social media in particular exacerbates these issues, particularly in the way it kind of curates differing realities for people. Because mm-hmm. when, when people end up um, curating and determining a different set of criteria for what determines reality, and it's, it, I think it is actually that, that stark in many cases, and then they venture into the real world, um, just the ability to find common ground on a base level um, yeah. becomes more and more difficult. That that and many other things. I think social media also encourages, I mean, it also, it, it functions off outrage, the ability to elicit outrage. So again, it's sort of coaching us and directing us toward very binary based thinking and uh, very kind of calcified ways of thinking that yeah. that just condense our worlds, like, mm-hmm. and that causes friction and and it further mm-hmm. isolates you as well. Oh. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think social media is extremely scary in terms of. I think it like we we live in the world we create. So yes, this is something that has always been there within us. Um, And the same goes for, you know, the horrific state of ecological catastrophe and late capitalism more broadly. Like, um, this is a world that we as human beings have created. So it's like, what what is it about us that we have determined this is the world we want to live in? Mm -hmm. Um, That's scary shit. (laughs) (laughs) Coming from you, that means a lot. (laughs) That's what scares me. Climate change? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Too scary to write a story about, (laughs) or maybe not, not for you. I'm going to write a climate Uh, change story for us. A climate change story? Yeah. Well, uh, Fade to White deals with- Fade to White is it? Okay. Yeah, it sort of is. Yeah. Yeah, that's in it. Yeah. I want to write a story about the mammoth getting reintroduced to the melting fucking Arctic. You know what, Maddie? I, I, I just did an interview last night where the guy brought that up. And I was did like, he? I don't really know what to say about it. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. It's in the zeitgeist. The mammoth is in the zeitgeist. That's very The mammoth is in the zeitgeist. It's <laughs> a good quote. It's a, that could be the title. <laughs> mammoth in the zeitgeist. As, as I was reading the anthology, I was listening just like, I don't know, like, Cynthia horror tunes. Uh, I came upstairs and I was like, are you listening to like a Halloween horror track? Like what are you doing? Hell yeah. <laughs> it, it, so like to be honest, it was it was the uh soundtrack to Hotline Miami. Hmm. I don't know if I've heard this. Is that a game? It's a video game where you murder people. Cool. Okay. That sounds interesting. <laughs> cut out just that quote it's a video game where you murder people <laughs> cool <laughs> but it, it's like it's it's like 16 bit like it's it's nintendo entertainment system graphics cool cool, cool, cool. Yeah, like it's dope um and then it's got yeah like this like weird like synth soundtrack um when i started reading 
fade to white, I switch to parquet quartz when the water gets too high because it's just like it was, uh, I guess, personally resonant. And it's just like, yeah, no, like this is the this soundtrack that I find resonant with my own like climate horror and also like in aptitude or like in impotence i guess and in facing it Mm -hmm. oh cool i love that that's really cool i actually um i made a peel back and see playlist i did this for my last two books and then i i last time uh there's a blog called nightworms they like published it so i'll reach out to them again see if they're interested but i yeah it's mostly like noise and uh early industrial and dark ambient stuff for this book I think the whole playlist is instrumental, but it's fun to try and think like, oh, what sort of vibe mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. would this have in musical form? And so cool. that's one. Very cool. Yeah. Um, do you know what do you know the band I'm talking about in the song? That sounds familiar. Um, not intimately though. I'd love if you could send me the link. Yeah, I wanna, sure. yeah that'd be cool. Thank you. So in Offer to the Adversary, you mentioned that the character Kate is repeating a mantra to herself that is a mantra against (laughs) imposter syndrome, but you don't tell us what it is. Is this a trade secret? Um, Yeah, I I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you just like the video (laughs) game character. (laughs) How's your poltergeist? Do you good? How's your house? Was your was your house spray like all gross by the time you unpacked it? It actually wasn't somehow. So I, I made good. good use of it. Thank you so much for that. That was a very my pleasure. Very appreciated gift. Yeah. Um, no, it seems um almost um disappointingly non-haunted, disappointingly ghostless. So I was like, I guess I'll adopt a black cat to to spook up the place a little there bit. There you go. A little Pluto. Yeah, he's a sweetie. I love him. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm glad. I'm glad you got a cat. I think that's very fitting, especially a black one. Mm. Sometimes Wisp likes to be on the podcast, but she left when John went to go get more drinks. She's beautiful. How's she doing? Good. Was she right outside the door? No, no. she's not. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted to be in the room when we started recording. But... Whenever it's like, oh, are you guys doing something? What mm-hmm. is that? Like she wants to go see, but yeah. then after a while she gets bored and wants to leave usually. We're not that interesting. <laughs> she's like, are you guys doing something interesting for once? No? Okay. I'll just be on my way then. <laughs> <laughs> she's got other stuff to do. She's got yeah. other stuff to do. Um, on the last, not the last episode we posted, episode before the last episode we posted is Fashion Witchcraft. I mentioned that I got hired to do a house clearing uh, for someone. And I, I say in the recording, like, if anybody has any tips, you know, let me know, because this is sounding scarier and scarier every new, like, fact that I get about it. Uh but it went good. It went really good. Um, but thinking about it, it it kind of reminded me of your your situation and like your poltergeist and just how all encompassing that feeling can be. Because I mean, when you're done doing whatever you're doing, you go home, right? And you're like, oh, great, now I'm at home. But if you yeah. have a poltergeist living in your house, it's not a relief. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah, because there's always this uh, this underlying sense, like when something weird going to happen again. You can go for a while without any disruptions, mm. um, and then you know when something happens again, you're like on edge. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting, though. Have, are you doing that a lot? The the cleansings. Uh, not, a, I mean, I would, if somebody solicits me for it, it was actually, I was working at the store, like on the floor and I answered the phone. It was from the other location and the, um, the employee from the South store who was calling was asking me if a different practitioner was there. She wasn't. And if she does house clearings and I said, uh, she's not here. I don't know if she does that, but I'm, I'll do it. Cool. My email. <laughs> so it went, yeah, it went really good. I, because the episode we recorded that I mentioned it was about fashion as witchcraft, right? Is that a thing? Is it, is it not? Whatever. But mm-hmm. I wore a cloak. Like I looked so dramatic. A hooded black cloak over my whole outfit. But as I was there, because my intention in wearing it was like to, pro- I, to protect myself from the negative energy. Mm-hmm. And then like... When I left the house, I took it off and it was like, I took off like a heavy, like backpacking backpack, like Hmm. the weight of this fabric was impossibly heavy. What was it made out of? It's just made of like velvet, Hmm. but it was like, my point is that it weighed more when I left than it did when I went in. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Or it felt like it did, you know, like, Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's spooky right? Yeah. Oh, it was spooky. It was definitely spooky. The feeling of like, okay, I'll go into the house. I can tell something's there before I even walk in, like looking up at the windows and like something really gross is in here for sure. Really? But then seeing it or like not seeing it, but perceiving it, I guess you could say kind of like hiding. Cause as soon as I roll up, it knows what's going on. It knows. Did you feel that? Did you feel that? Yeah, that's not sort of. Well, when I started yeah. going through the walkthrough, like looking for the situation, I got a sense of it in a particular corner, kind of just like, mm-hmm. I'm not here. <laughs> like, giant, like <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Yeah, like hide. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, no, I see you. You're there. I mean, I don't wow. see you literally, but I can tell that you're there or whatever. So when you do a cleansing, uh, does it, is it like final? Do you, do you hear back from the person that says, yeah, like we've, we've, we we're not running into any more ghostly visitations. Is it, is it that effective? Um, usually it takes a few days at least for it to mm-hmm. like fully dissipate because my like mental image, I guess, or whatever of it, when I'm getting rid of it is that it kind of like I, this time specifically, I had the image of like, if you had a sandwich that had a lot of jelly in the middle and you squish the bread down and it like, like Whoa. <laughs> an ectoplasm so, sandwich maybe, or yeah. So it's like, okay, it's not in this collected form where it has like, this is an audio medium, John. <laughs> that was your raven. <laughs> where it has all of this like power. Cause it's like, you know, collected in this one entity in this one location that's feeding on all this negativity that is, you know, there on buffet for it. Um, I think once you like get in there and you break it up and you get rid of most of it, 
you've done most of the work, but then the person who lives there needs to then also change some things about the environment and about like sometimes their own thought processes that allow them to like contribute to the different lighter, newer, like better energy of the place. Interesting. But as soon as I was done, like what I was doing there, I suddenly could pick up on this, the feeling, the sense of the, the people who actually live in that house, the family, you know, I was like, oh, as soon as I got rid of it or whatever, smushed it, I was like, oh, you have such a lovely family. And I started like picking up on the vibes of like, you know, these like lovely kids and like this nice family. And I was like, now you can actually feel the energy of the people who live here and the, the, the house itself and the fam, you know, wow. get rid of that, like almost like a curtain or like a blanket that's like laying over everything. Yeah. Yeah. One, you said you felt some of that heaviness when you left, like on yourself. Yeah. But I, that's why I wore the cloak, even though it looks crazy dramatic is because I was trying to not absorb it and instead keep it outside of me and then be able to take it off. Hmm. Just like a nurse leaving a COVID unit yeah. out of my scrubs and like wash them, get rid of it. Right. Right. Oh, that's really interesting. So it's like this very like direct transference almost or like a pulling out or squishing down well i think it is kind of similar to a virus in a sense like Mm. in that it kind of can infect you even if you leave like go with you other places and does that scare you in entering like a scenario where you're cleansing does that the possibility like oh i could take something with me does that enter Um, your mind it's in my mind. It's a consideration, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it scares me because I know that I'm taking precautions. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Cause like the correlation is so on the nose. <laughs> <But> <laughs> were you masked too? Of course you were. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Very yeah. Cool. So, okay. Did you have, before we wrap up last time we spoke, everyone if you haven't listened to that episode and by some strange coincidence you're listening to this one go back and listen to the first interview we did with Mike because it was an absolute banger um and I asked him if he'd ever seen a ghost and he regaled me with stories of ghostly phone calls in the middle of the night and like shit flying through the air and all kinds of stuff so I was curious I know you banked some extra stories so let's hear it. Yeah. Did I talk about the key in the last episode? I can't I remember. I don't think so. I don't think a so. Key, yeah. A key for a door. Um, so yeah, this was particularly bizarre and alarming. I woke up one morning and I always left my key in this. Uh, it was actually a skull shaped bowl from like Spirit Halloween at the front door. <laughs> On decor so, from Spirit Halloween. Yeah, that, that's, I mean optimal if if you can get it at spirit halloween you should um (laughs) so i could and i did uh (laughs) that's where i kept my key and i woke up one morning and it was the key to my apartment was bent at a 90 degree angle like a hockey stick whoa and um it's shocking how often when i tell this story the first thing people ask is were you sober the night before (laughs) <laughs> the answer to that is yes, 
But I'm like, even if I wasn't, I do not turn into like, I don't know, like a fucking behemoth when I drink. I don't, I, it's not like a yeah. whole thing where I have a few beers and I'm able to bend steel. Um, but I angry and then decide like, you know, it'd be really funny if I went and got the pliers and broke my own. <laughs> and then just forgot about it completely. Like that's like a night to rival like the worst of Edgar Allan Poe. Like that would be, <laughs> yeah. um, and that is not what happened. I was very sober. I maybe had one beer the night before, um, but I went to a key uh, place the next day and she had to put it in like this special machine to straighten it out. And she still couldn't completely straighten it. She's like, I don't know how you did this. And I was like, I did. I woke <laughs> I, up and it was like this. Um, like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, she's like, okay, sir. Uh, or, or did you have anything to drink last night that's the question yeah. right? that's the million dollar question um, you have to be like what are you a fucking cop no what's yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> please just fix my key and let's move on with it yeah so that was weird um there were a couple things with lights um there was one time when my ex and i were in the bedroom at night and it looked like a laser pointer dancing all over the room an orb yeah yes exactly yeah bright red though like vibrant red bad it was very scary and of course i mean immediately you, you you try to explain it using i don't know something logical or something material so we looked yeah. outside we were on like the seventh floor though i think did you ever see my Kensington apartment? I can't remember. I didn't go inside, but I was outside of it. Yeah, so we were like really high up. There's nowhere right. There's nowhere anyone really could have been shining a laser pointer and there was no right. one visible on the street. It was very late at night. So anyway, yeah. danced around the room for a while and then stopped. Um, at one point, again, a lot of spirit Halloween decor. Um, <laughs> I'm not ashamed, but we also had a skull thing hanging on the wall. Uh, and one day the number seven was glowing on that skull and I have photographs of it and there's nowhere in the apartment that could have reflect refracted light in that specific shape. I think it actually started as 71 and then the one kind of faded and it just was the number seven. So maybe you can help me unpack that. I don't know. That's crazy. Mm. Well, okay. If we're doing numerology. Yeah. Seven. It, like if you had 71, seven and one are both numbers that have, uh, I mean, to a lot of people an angelic resonance. I don't work with angels personally, so I don't, mm. eh, I don't know, but um, numerology always, if you have a two digit number, you add the digits together. So if you had 71, you would have eight. And that's interesting. Kind of eight is a uh, banishing number. Mm. Alchemic. Is that what you just said? Oh, no. Eight in tarot is uh, the strength card. But also the eight when you turn it sideways is infinity. Mm -hmm. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Maybe the the poltergeist who was haunting you was 71 when they died. Sorry, in tarot, what are seven and one? Seven is the chariot and one is the magician. Hmm. They're all pretty like positive potent cards. And yeah, you didn't get like the tower or the devil or something like that. Yeah. I'm kind of disappointed. I'm like angel strength in I don't know. I wanted like, I don't know. No, maybe I don't want something dark. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My theory, here's my theory, based on what you just told me. I'm guessing that it's something to do 
I'm guessing that this is an entity that kind of like morphed and became malignant because they wouldn't or couldn't move on for whatever reason. Mm. And that they 71 is uh, relevant to them in some way, like the year they died or their age when they died or something like that, maybe. Yeah, no, that seems to make sense. Um, Cause yeah, the angel thing doesn't, Right. Doesn't seem to track unless a red so, orb. A red orb is not angels. Like I know, like and that it. phone call too, right? It's me, Michael. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like okay, good job making me feel comfortable letting you in. At yeah, yeah. no, you're not, Michael. That's actually <laughs> so. Yeah, I can just see that in like a low budget horror. Like you get a call that where they say your own name, and you're like, no, you're not. I would have done it if I had had a glass on hand, <laughs> but uh, I might have even made the gesture like the throwing gesture. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. And then lights turning themselves on that happened a few times. We had a friend over once when this happened. Yeah, we had like lights kind of like string lights over the entry to entry to our kitchen. They just turn themselves on things like that. Creeptastic. Yeah, so that's the juiciest poltergeist goss I've got for you. That 71. I That's interesting. I like it. Yeah. Well, now yeah. that you have a cat, you might be a lot less likely to get another poltergeist. Why is that? Because cats are like the guardian between worlds or it's believed that they are. Interesting. Yeah. And I find that if I am at someone's house, because the one I just did is not the first house cleansing I've done. And I, that person didn't have a cat, but I do find that when I go to a house to do a cleansing and they have a cat, the cat's like, hi, what are you doing? Are we chasing out the ghosts? Okay, me too. And they like follow me around the house while I'm doing it. Wow. Um, yeah. Interesting. How are, how, is, how are things otherwise at the witch store? Pretty good. Pretty good. I, yeah, I'm practicing there every Sunday now. So that's exciting. Um, feels a bit like I have three jobs approximate three like I'm really busy it kind of almost a little bit like what you were saying of like just working and then eating sometimes and then working more um but it's good it's really good yeah well Mike why'd you move all the way to Fredericton it's so hard (laughs) you two should come visit seriously I have a spare room Well, no, but seriously, if you two are ever, for whatever reason, in Fredericton, New Brunswick, well, there is a reason. The reason is to hang out with Mike. Yeah, that's a good reason. I live right across the street from a 33-acre old growth forest, which is spectacular. Yeah, so that has been amazing. That's straight up, actually. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't even know when I moved here, and then I was like, oh, fuck, that's literally, like, across. You can see it from my balcony, so that's nice. That's awesome. Holy shit. Yeah, chill out. It wasn't me. It was a ghost. Yeah. There's a small animal standing at my office door with just like his ear and the side of his eye peeking in. <laughs> yeah. Usually he scratches at the door when he wants to get in, but he's just kind of peeking in at me. He's like, Hello. what are you doing? Our cat is at the door too. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Just open the door and she's right there. <laughs> <laughs> Good girl, you hit your line. Um, Okay, so Mike Thorne, 
incredible author of many horror stories, sure to delight, disgust, and terrify you, has a new short story collection available October 29th, wherever books are sold. Pre-order it before then if this is up, which hopefully it will be if I can get my shit together. He's the bomb. He's the bomb.com. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks, John. You, you can find him also at, what's your website? Oh, yeah. My website's MikeThornWrites.com. I'm on Twitter. MikeThornWrites is my handle on there. Same handle on Instagram. And I'm lurking elsewhere on the internet. Goodreads, Facebook, Letterboxd. So if you want to connect with me, there are various places you can do so. Sister Luna says, Smoke the bone. <laughs> Yes. Is that good? <laughs> yeah, that's so good. <laughs> good, 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 good. Although it does kind of sound like you're saying like give a blowjob. Okay, let's that's try okay. that again. Uh, that, uh, yeah, that too. What's wrong that's with that? Yeah. Oh, it's true. I just I, I don't want to like force people to do that if that's not something they want to. No, that's fine. I'll we'll stick with it. It's that. in the story. Hmm. Okay. Smoke <laughs> Sorry, the bone. I shouldn't have said Smoke that. Smoke the bone. I'm saying it with great confidence. Smoke <laughs> the bone.